This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where I have a bit of chest congestion today, so I don't sound normal. And it's again, and you know, everybody listening to this is probably gonna think I go to Key West every weekend because it Pretty is much. again a day we are recording the day before I'm leaving for Key West, and I can tell you, no pressure, Ragov, but all of our best podcasts happen the day before I'm going to Key West. <laughs> I'm ready to go. So listen, we have missed. I'm gonna let you introduce yourself. Your last name is it Tana Tana? It's Tana. Tana. Okay, good. So I don't want to like have ideas of whether we're using long and short vowels and all of that but we have mr ragov tana from tarmica with us and if you haven't heard about tarmica i'm interested in what cave you've been living in um but they are a ridiculously dynamic insurtech that meets a need that has existed for a long time in the commercial game and i know he's doing some stuff to develop that on the personal line side as well, but why don't you, uh, before we start diving into technology and all of that, just give them the uh, give them the quick bio, man. Tell them kind of how you it's got great. on the scene and sort of what your background is, because I, I learned a lot more about your background when we spent time in Chicago a couple weeks ago. I did not realize that you had actually been uh, in some of the roles you have, so it makes a whole lot of sense as to why you're doing what you do now to me, anyhow. Yeah, no, for sure, and if this podcast goes well, I expect an invite to Key West. Uh, <laughs> Anytime, man. There's an open invite. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. So I, I started off at Travelers. I graduated about seven years ago. I started off at Travelers and I I worked there for a couple of years, uh, learned the business, learned about insurance. But I'd really grown up in insurance my whole life. My dad was a underwriting manager, uh, became the head of underwriting, worked directly under uh, Hank Greenberg over at AIG for a little bit and or you know, reported to people that did at least. And, and he did a, a lot of stuff in the insurance space before starting his agency. I went over to the agency side. I learned as much as I could. Uh, I took a page out of your book, David. I, I really only wrote uh, policies over 200000 in premium, 100000 in premium, and grew that book for about three years. And I, I grew it to uh, just under $3 million in written premium. And and for revenue purposes, because that's what you care about, it was it was over 350000 in revenue over three years. So it was it was a lot of fun. I loved doing it. I really never should have left that business, but um, I had the itch to start my own tech company. 
and I saw a need in the space on one specific account that I tried to place with five carriers. I went through the entire process of getting them to agree to it. The client had already agreed to come on and work with us. And I got reached out to all my carriers and said, hey, who can write this? It was a $120,000 account. And I went through the entire flow and all five declined it um, after like six days of underwriting. And they could have just told me up front they were going to decline. And I was like, there has to be a way to just input all this information into one place and tell me you're going to decline this account. That's what that's what started this. And that was the impetus of the whole thing. And, and here we are three and a half years later. So, yeah, I mean, that... <sighs> I wish I had your technology in Florida. I'm still I'm still waiting. I know that, you know, carrier appetite and all of that stuff. Truthfully, man, you can you can make a product for Florida. Here's how it goes. You just push a button and it says decline. So I mean I just <laughs> I just gave you your next multi billion dollar idea right there because that, <laughs> that's how Tarmica would work in Florida right now in the state of our marketplace. But for those people who don't know like specifically what Tarmica is and what it does, talk a little bit about that. I mean, it, to me it it, it it in the rawest form it's a commercial raider yeah right and, and that's probably the best layman's terms to put it in you know to put it into but you know without divulging secret sauce there are some things that make what you guys are doing much different than the competition that you have out there yeah and i i, I have no problem going to that we're pretty transparent about everything we do we we're at our core we're a commercialized rating platform uh we've built functionality and, and uniqueness within our system that allows agencies to quote commercial business a little bit more efficiently and faster. Uh, we've built underwriting questions that are completely dynamic based on carriers. And we have over 35 carriers on the platform. Uh, we have agencies in the top 100. We have the five out of six largest aggregators in the country. So we've really focused on making lives of agencies easier. And on the side of all that, we build our embedded insurance product. So our whole focus was commercial lines. And I know you mentioned personal, but uh, we tried to make commercial lines as efficient as humanly possible. And once we hit a critical mass on commercial, we refocused our efforts to get onto personal as well. Well, yeah, you've got minimal competition in the commercial arena, though. I mean, you've got a, a half dozen you know, household names in personal lines, Raiders, and then all of the other ones. So, I mean, I think that's exactly where you should have gone in, in, in terms of being a – if we want to make you a disruptor, you know, um, go to an, an, industry, an, an area of the industry where there's, where there's nothing. I mean, that's, that's my MO, man. You know, if everybody else is going right, I'm going left 100% of the time. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But when it does, it works for a really nice, you know, multiple of my investment. So, no, 100%. Um, I was the I was the person saying that we're an enabler before it was cool because everyone wanted to be a disruptor in insurance for 2017, 2018, 2019. And we started saying that we wanted to enable agencies to do better. And I feel like someone stole that from me. And I'll, all I hear is people <laughs> talking about enablement now. So I'm trying to find a new word for us. So I can I can start all over again. Ryan Deeds, man, he's the guy. He's enable. guilty of it. His whole freaking company's enable now. <laughs> Dude's got it. He's got tatted on his forearms, <laughs> my man. You don't get any more sold out than that. You can go read my tweets from 2018. I said I was an enabler, and now everyone's stealing that from me. Come on, Deeds. I know you, I know you better than that, though. I don't think you did. Um, but anyhow, you know what? What I hear from. What's the biggest pushback you get? Let's get that out of the way first, and we're going to talk about all the good stuff because I hear it, and I know that you probably hear the same things that I hear in terms of when are you getting the, you know, when are you getting this carrier, when are you going to get, you know, all of that. What, you know, what, what would you say the biggest obstacle that you've encountered to this point has been? Because you guys have done 
a remarkable job of growing the company, getting revenue, um, you know, adding carriers to your platform. And I do want to talk a little bit about what that process looks like. But um, what would you say your biggest obstacle has been so far? Yeah, there's two. One's on the carrier side. It's uh, we don't want to be uh, we don't want to be commoditized. We don't want to be compared by price. That's huge. The other piece on the carrier side is uh, we don't have an API yet. We're not ready to do this integration. The technology is not there. And we try to help with that. We try to help build APIs, but there's a whole bunch of other factors that come involved. You need to have all your systems talking to each other in an efficient way. And on the agency side, it's, hey, you don't have my carrier. And again, we're an agency that doesn't sell on price. If you look at the Tarmica platform, 18% of the time, the lowest premium bound, 18% of the time, the lowest premium is bound. So that's very infrequent. If you go to hmm. any other carrier system and if wow. you compare how agencies operate, that number is going to be consistent across the board. So we're not changing the game of we're rating off price, we're binding off price. Price doesn't matter. So let me ask you a question really quick, because that's an interesting statistic. How mm -hmm. does that compare to the people who sell online, like your Progressives Directs and Geico's and all of that? And, and maybe they don't necessarily give, they, they don't really lay it out the same way in that you have multiple options. You, used to have, you usually have to tweak it. But I would be interested to, to me, the smallest price is typically the least coverage or the lowest limits. Yep. There's usually at least somewhat of a direct correlation there. How does that number where 82% of your quotes are not the lowest one compare to if the consumer was the one that was driving that process as opposed to the agency? And you may not know that number. You're, you're a business owner, right? So you're a business owner going to buy insurance online. Would you pick the lowest quote to cover your business? Maybe to cover your vehicle, if you weren't in insurance and you were a personal lines client, maybe to cover your auto, maybe to cover your home because it's your personal line stuff. To cover your business, I know very few people that are going to go out and say, yeah, I just want the cheapest price. I don't care about coverage because nothing's, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. That's not how commercial lines work. I mean, you started that company. It's your baby. You don't want to put it at risk, do you? Yeah. Not the, not the think, people we're going after, at least. I yeah, think some the of the smaller contractors... After, but I do think that that's what happens with the people in the self-serve place because they're worried that I'm not going to sell them the ones that, you know. Well, isn't that why price. they went online in the first place? That's why they went online. Yeah. That, that's why I feel like, so I guess, you know, my point is I, I would be shocked if the direct-to-consumer companies aren't like the exact mirror image of what your stats are. Like 82% of the time, the lowest price is taken as opposed to not. I, would, that, I wouldn't that would be surprised by that either, but I think the customers that agencies go after, and I know you're going to say some agencies don't go after good customers, which is true, but they're probably not our clients either because they're not going to spend money on Tarmica. No, I mean, look, there's an agency for everybody out there, man. I, I am not going to ever open up an agency to do non-standard auto. It's just never going to happen. But some of the wealthiest people I know in the agency game run non-standard auto shops because they can sell the same policy five times a year and collect five times the fees. I'm just not interested in running that kind of a business model. Doesn't mean that I'm right and they're wrong. You know, it's just it, it, different strokes for different folks. But, you know, for me... I, I like the fact that this is something that makes everything more efficient. Um, it's completely different than going online to somebody like a cover wallet or one of these other, uh, you know, combined group out of Texas has an online raider that they use or whatever else. 
and you keep the business in your agency. Like to me, that's number one. You know, agency yeah, owners by point. and large have control issues to begin with, and they want to have their arms around everything and every piece and part of their operations. So the fact that they can have something that improves efficiency but yet allows them to still have complete control is a huge selling point in my opinion. That's one of the differentiating factors too. I mean, right, we, we talk about it all the time. We're just a tech company. And all I want to be is a tech company. We're not an MGA. We're not taking commissions. We don't write the business. We're not selling the data. We're just a tech company. And we want to do it as a SaaS model. And we're going to be consistent with that. And by if, if it fails, it fails. But that was going to be the model going forward no matter what. I was never going to change the way that we approached agencies because I, I understood agencies and I knew what they wanted at their core. And it wasn't to sell their business away to someone else. So here's my question, man. It's 2021. We're closer to 2022 now than we were the beginning than we are the beginning of 2021. Why don't carriers have APIs in the United States of America or worldwide, for that matter, in, in 2021? So there's a lot that goes into building a mature and a properly structured API. And, and I, I want you to talk about that because I think that people who sit in my seat that own agencies throw the word API around like everybody should have it. And we like we even know what we're talking about. And we, we don't even have any clue what it is. We just know the letters and it's the buzzword of the day. T talk about what it's yeah. for and why it's so difficult, because I think people need to be educated on that. And then maybe they'll understand why, you know, things are the way they are in the agency world. Yeah, so going through the process of setting up a proper functioning uh, API or any integration with any company externally, it's going to require you to take a look at your internal systems, cover all of the information that you have to collect internally, name of business, address, um, phone number, email, NAICS code, revenue, payroll, everything. And then you have to take all your underwriting questions and map them to the proper NAICS code and say, okay, when this NAICS code appears, this is what's going to happen. There's parent-child questions. There's coverage options that are appropriate for some states and not others, and some uh, NAICS codes and not others. And that continues to happen over time. You need to have all your declination rules built in. You need to have all of your referral rules built in. And there's, you're essentially, when you're building this structure to pass data to a company like us through an API, you're essentially starting from scratch. And you have your internal systems that work the way they work. You have your internal quoting portal that works the way it works. But now you're taking all of that and you're packaging it into a format that can be ingested by me. And they've never done it before. Until recently, that wasn't even something that people thought about. Maybe five years ago, six years ago, people started considering this as an option. So when you think about all of the complexities that go into that, I don't blame carriers for not having it yet. Their internal systems weren't built to be able to pass data externally. And it's the same thing with every other industry. If you're completely changing the way that you want to format information and pass it to certain companies, it's going to take time to develop. And I think we're starting to see a lot of carriers make that hurdle and make that jump to the next step of this evolution. We're still years away, though, from it being good. So you saw this need. You started this journey. What's been the most exciting thing for you along the way so far? Most exciting thing is actually seeing adoption. I think for, for me, adoption is huge. Uh, we could have you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, millions of agencies on the platform or users on the platform. But what really mattered to me is if agencies sign up, I want them to use it. And the best thing we did was in 2020, we did 100,000 in quoted premium through the system. And in our, sorry, in August of 2020, in August of 2021, 
we're going to do close to 10 million in quarter premium in a single month. So it's wow. it, the adoptions expanded tremendously. And that's what I cared about. That was exciting for me. Solid. Well, the other thing too, that helps you is it seems to me the more that I get involved in the insure tech community, that there is a level of camaraderie there between, you know, insure tech companies where they can work together and integrate their products together and make everybody stronger, you know, better agency, glove box, you know, Tarmica, all, all you guys, um, for the most part, talk a little bit about what that's like in the fact yeah. that you've got, you know, this whole entrepreneurial community inside the insure tech space. That's kind of like its own, own fraternity. Yeah. What's, what's interesting about it is it falls into the same thing as you just said, you have a niche market, you target certain clientele. For us, we have a niche market. We target certain clientele and we do certain things only. So when people come to us and say, hey, can you build a CRM into your system? Sure, we could, theoretically. Why would we do that, though? We're going yeah, to you, <laughs> pass you to a partner of ours. And like you said, Better Agency is a partner of ours as well. We pass clients to Better Agency and say, hey, that's the CRM for you. When you talk about agent-client portals, our entire system was built to be an app. And if you bound a policy, of course that client can see everything you just did for them. But why would we build that? Glovebox is already there. And I think that's the camaraderie is we know people do things better than we do. So you might as well partner with them instead of trying to solve everything yourself. It's not possible to do it. And then you take away from what you're really good at. I think that's true for any business owner. Yeah, I think the thing I would probably struggle with if I had an insure tech company, which I never will, um, but if I did... Um, would be how in the world, like I, I'm one of these guys that I'll have an idea and I'll take off with it and run with it. And then the next thing you know, I'm wanting to go in another direction and another direction and another direction. So like when I build Legos with my kids, you can't even, you don't even know what it is. Like it goes all the way back to when I was a child too. But, you know, I would just keep bolting stuff on and bolting stuff on. That's got to be a struggle, man, is you're, is you're building a product and recognizing needs. And, you know, maybe you missed something in one stage and you got to go back and you got to update it and then beta test it and re-release it. I mean, just my goodness, I'm, does it I'm ever not, end? I'm not the guy that... uh that tells people that they can't do something. I'm the one that brings up all the ideas and then our engineers tell me that's a terrible idea and we shouldn't yeah. spend time on it. So all I do, my, my entire responsibility at this company now, after the first two years I, I helped build it, now it's come up with new ideas and new ways to make us money, bring it to our engineers and have them tell you that you're an idiot. And it, I get told no more times than I get told yes, but that one time that we're told yes, it's going to make us a lot of money. Go ahead, Kyle. You look. Like I was going to say, so kind of along those lines, so what's on the horizon without giving too much away that uh, you don't want people to know yet? So there's this whole buzzword, just like APIs with embedded insurance, and that's our most recent release. We can essentially take our API and put it in places at the point of sale. So people can now buy insurance wherever they're already buying other things. If they're trusting the company, they can go ahead and buy insurance there. And you just saw that announcement with Amazon and Marsh and Bold Penguin and Simply Business. It's essentially allowing for that scenario to happen across multiple businesses, multiple point of sale systems, multiple channels, and buy insurance in real time through your agency without having to enter in any data again. So completely removing the need for duplicate information. So I've never heard the story, man. I know you've probably told it on, on other podcasts and I just... I don't even listen to my own, so I don't really listen to other ones most of the time because I'm busy doing other things. Um, but there's got to be significance behind the name of your company. And I probably should have started with that. But what, what does it even mean? 
I haven't come up with this yet. Uh, the name doesn't actually mean anything, but I told myself that before Tarmica ever sells, if we do, that I would come up with a reason for why it's named Tarmica, and I still haven't come up with something. So it's like everyone's asked me this for the last three years, and I got nothing. That's so crazy. It was just like a cool sounding word, word or what? It's yeah, is that an no. actual word? No, it's not a word. Uh, we came up with a name, and Geetha, who's my co-founder, didn't like the name, but it started with a T. We already had the logo designed, all this stuff. And I don't know how this happened, but the person that designed our logo essentially sent us a bunch of names. And this was one of them. And I asked her what it meant, and it didn't mean anything. So here we are. Dude, Fiverr for the so win crazy. on that one. It's crazy. It is absolutely... Actually, the person that designed the logo, I went to high school with. And it's like one of those things where you just remember someone, and she was a ridiculous artist. And I messaged her, and I was like, hey, do you still do logo designs? I messaged her on Instagram, I think. And she was like, yeah. And she designed this, and we still use it three years later. And... It's become like the brand identity, essentially. That's crazy. Like, because I've actually had to come up with fictitious company names before. Like, I, I like the last agency I worked at, I completely made the name up by morphing a Greek two Greek words together. That basically, I I knew what I wanted it to mean, and then I just created the word around it. Exactly. I mean, you got the blue and gold. Now the Tarmica purple is like it's our brand. Everything in this office is purple. Yeah, like Tarmica should it. mean something like robust warrior or something like that. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I don't know. We could, think, we could probably come up with something if I think about it long enough. We got to go the glove box route and get a mascot of some sorts. Yeah, so I've always wondered, like, kind of, how does the astronaut play into anything? Or is it just for shock and awe so much? Like, everybody says, why do those guys have an astronaut for an app called Glovebox? You're talking, about, you're talking about it, aren't you? Yeah, that's my point. Like, yeah. I didn't know if there was any significance other than just getting people to talk about it. I don't know. I, I've never even asked them, but I think there has to be something with it because everyone talks about it all the time. And if I had come up with something like that three years ago, maybe we would have had all these agencies two years ago instead of this year. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I can tell you this. The guy that draws the short straw at Glovebox is the one that wears that outfit at the trade shows because it is horrible, <laughs> horrible to wear. I saw them at FAIA. I felt so bad for the guy that was walking around wearing the full-blown astronaut outfit because it was hot in in June in Florida. And this guy's wearing a full-blown spacesuit. Yeah, you got to plan ahead Not for good. that. They got to they build a spacesuit with shorts or something. Yeah, Dude, get we should have we should have Marvin be a freaking mascot for us somewhere. Marvin would be a fantastic mascot. 100%. Marvin's our VA that sets appointments for us. Do you guys have you guys have a mascot? <laughs> no, but we might after this episode's over. Yeah, I call Marvin the Filipino wrecking machine. Maybe maybe we could. <laughs> I don't know how you would dress up in a Filipino wrecking machine costume, but I'm sure we could figure it out. Marvin probably has one. So, you know, you guys are looking to um, ad carriers, obviously, you know, agents lay off my man. He's doing everything he can. People, you know, we're in an industry that's very, very slow to adapt and adopt to technology, period. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you have the number of carriers that you have three years in to me is remarkable. I mean. I get it. Agents see something. They see, you know, not that Tarmac is a shiny object. I would tell you that you're well past that stage. You're, no, you're not the new guy on the block anymore. But, you know, to any agency who doesn't know what you do or has heard of you before, you're a shiny object. And so to that end, you know, they get it. They get excited about it and they, they think they need it. 
and then they then they then they find all the reasons why it doesn't work once they have it when most of the time the reasons technology doesn't work in agencies is because the agent's not using it or using it correctly so um you know i would i would caution everybody you know be patient with some of this stuff i think that you guys are at a point now where you can probably cater to the overwhelming majority of the agencies in the country and you know specifically the ones you want to cater to and I, i think that's cool man i think that you know, anybody in any sales capacity needs to define who their target market's going to be. Um, you know, you've got you've got people who want to drive Bentleys and you've got people that want to drive Chevy Caprices. Quit trying to sell Bentleys to the people who want to drive a Caprice. You know, I mean, it's not really not that difficult. It's the same thing in our industry. You know, if you understand technology, if you understand that it's an investment, if you understand that it's actually a member of your team um, in in the format of technology, then you're going to just adopt the living crap out of it and run with it and be wildly successful for it. If you buy it and you, you put it on a monthly fee and you don't, you know, champion that inside your organization and get your people to adopt it and hold them accountable to using that technology. And then you start bitching about it every month when you get the bill. That's on you, bro. Sorry. That's that's your problem. You know, figure out how you're going to use this stuff when you bring it into your agencies. There, there are ways. I mean, as a tech company, you probably know this too. There are ways to get agent. You have to focus on the right clients. If you start going after everybody and anybody, your churn is going to be horrible. You're going to start losing people constantly. And I think there's there's two things that people do that causes them to lose agencies. One, you don't train them properly. And if you don't train them properly, how are they going to adopt the technology? But two, it's the shiny object syndrome. You try to become an influencer on because you're an insure tech. You start tweeting about it. You start posting about how great you are all the time. And that was one thing that we always shied away from. We don't want everybody. So we're going to post about things that actually mean something to agencies and it will impact their their day-to-day instead of me as a person because I started this company trying to make myself out to something I'm not. And I think a lot of insure techs fall victim to that. And I've noticed it for the last two years. And you've seen you've probably seen a few of them and you know who I'm talking about where they think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread and they start talking about how they can do anything and everything and work with everybody, but no one can. Right. No, it's completely impossible. I mean, that's why I think, you know, I've always said that, and I've probably said it twice this week. um, I don't want to make 10 phone calls to get one appointment. I want to make one phone call to get 10. And I think that your strategy around using, not using, but, uh, you know, networking in, in building your business, using the agency networks, specifically the ones that you have being the biggest and going after the alphabet houses, you automatically get the most distribution that you can possibly get and use of your product if they're using it right. It's it's the I think it's the best way to do it, but it's also a very different way to do it. People don't think these aggregators for the most part can convince their agencies to use products and that couldn't be further from the truth. These aggregators have a lot of pull with their agencies and not because their agencies are beholden to what they do, it's because they trust the aggregator. They trust the way they operate, they trust the way they do things. And the agencies are willing to listen because they think that they've done their due diligence, which to be honest with all of these ones we work with, they put us through the ringer to get them a contract with them. We we did testing, we did security reviews, we talked to them for months before signing them and it took us a long time to get these um, under our belt. 
Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, I've got some connections in that end of the business at this point. So I'm seeing it, you know, from a couple of different angles. Number one, you know, much respect to you from that being your strategy. But also, man, you know, for the aggregators, depending on how they're set up, it's more efficient for them too. like, you know, they now can have their agencies because some of these aggregators, they're still processing small business manually internally at the aggregator. Why in the world wouldn't you get a raider so that you can have and, and then require it? Don't even ask. Just say, look, if you're going to write anything under X number of dollars of premium, this is the platform you need to use for that period, because it's the only right. way we can afford to take that submission from you and make money. And take it a step further, right? Even if you're taking it one step further, think about all the data that comes through and you have this you have access to every piece of information coming through your entire aggregation. And if I if I ran an aggregator, I would love to see everything that's coming through my system day after day after day and then bring it to the carriers and say, help me because you're not doing X, Y, and Z for me, or thank you for doing X, Y, and Z for me. Well, let's take it another another angle, man. Look, I'm gonna give away the secret sauce. If there's any aggregators out there, go ahead and earmuff it for me right now, because this one's gonna be proprietary to the, the mm -hmm. people I'm involved with. But um you know, what about gamifying it? You know, what about taking your aggregator and gamifying the production game using that same data so that you're creating an, an environment of competition amongst all your member agencies so that they can see, number you know, number one, that's an easy way to get adoption. Um, but number two, now you can benchmark them against each other. That's, I mean, we should be doing that as a company. That's an idea for me, right? I mean, I could, if we did that. Your engineers maybe, are going to tell you it sucks. You know, they're just, they might, me. they <laughs> might tell me it sucks or that could have just made me a lot of money. So if it does, I'll take well, you. Well, it'll out be to twice dinner. now. That'll be twice. <laughs> I'll take you out to dinner in Key West when you invite me, when I, when I make my go. trip out there. there. You go. You're the visionary. Yeah, no. They're the implementer. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm just that. I, me, me and David could be visionaries here and we could just talk to my engineering team all the time about how they implement this stuff. We'd probably there get told go. no way more than yes, but hey, it's worth it. Well, I, I get told way no way more than yes on a daily basis, mostly from my wife. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think there's something to be said for that, you know, because aggregators, I, I don't know, man, what, what's your thought on this? Having, having, been around them and, and been engaged with them. Some people think they're around for the long haul and that's the way of the future. Other people think that, you know, eventually they're going to end up going away. What do you, what do you think? I think they're around for the long haul. They make up almost 55, 60% of all agencies, at least the top 10 do, right? So you think about how many agencies are involved with aggregators and what they provide. I think they might look a little bit differently in the future, but they're definitely here for the long haul. And I think they're providing enough value to all of their members to be around for the long haul. There might be some that don't provide provide value at all. I don't know which ones those are because I've never been involved with one. But I'm sure there are some that are just there to make money and they're not going to be here for more than five years. We don't work with any of those, I don't think. Yeah, no, I mean, I think stickiness is where it's at. You've got to provide value. It's no different than what we have to do to keep clients in our book of business. If all you're doing is giving people market access, that's great. But typically what's going to end up happening is if you're not giving them a reason to submit that business to you, they're going to go after their own contracts or they're going to go someplace that is going to give them some level of support. And ultimately, um, you know, or you just become the market of last resort for an agency that goes out, gets direct appointments, and they're just going to send you the crap that they couldn't get approved in their own staff. Yeah, and I always, I mean, you're absolutely right. I always watch growth equity firms, like private equity firms and what they're doing because they're getting really involved with insurance right now and they're targeting these aggregators. They're trying to invest in these aggregators because they see the value of growth in the next five, 10 years. Um, I think they're spot on with it.
Yeah, and it's um, to me a much uh, less risky investment because you're spreading your risk to risk across the number of geographies, the number of agencies. You're not, you know, putting all your chips into one basket. I think that business model of being an aggregator, you don't have to write insurance. Writing insurance is hard. It really is. I mean, finding clients that fit your niche is hard. As an aggregator, it's the same thing. Finding your niche of agencies is also hard, but at least you're not trying to sell people on insurance. You're trying to sell people on making more money within your aggregator, having more markets within your aggregator, make insurance easier to sell. Agreed. So you're not, you're you're not in, what's that? Go ahead. I, I can see. I always see your mouth moving before the words come out on my end. So I, I got to be careful not to interrupt. It's all you. Man. No, it's all good. I, I'm, so you're not in Florida. What? What? what um, you, like, where are you? Are there are there certain restrictions or what's the deal? Well, no, th- you're in Florida. It's just oh. a matter of the the carriers and stuff, right? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, we, I got you. We have limited, Kyle. We have limited markets in Florida. I mean, we had, we're in we're in 44 states right now. We have agencies okay. in 44 states right now, and we have agencies in Florida. We have agencies in California. I wouldn't say those are our top markets. I don't think we're doing very well there. I think David's yeah. absolutely right. I think we get more. Well, it's crazy down here right now, man. It is. I think honestly, there's a, there's an opportunity in Florida. I don't know what it is yet, but there has to be some sort of opportunity in Florida to write more insurance. And once someone figures that out, they're going to make a boatload of money. Right. And maybe you're already doing that. I'm not doing anything. Mm, yeah. No. I mean, we have limited markets in Florida too. <laughs> <laughs> and we're here. It's nuts, dude. I mean, yeah, especially on the property stuff that we've been we've been talking about it for six months or more now. But I mean, it, it's it's tough. I think there's other markets that are going to fall go that same way, though. I don't think Florida is the only one, and I think every market's actually going to get worse. I don't think Florida is going to get better. I think other places are just going to keep getting worse. Yeah, you know, the other thing I think too, though, is that. Um, reinsurance is playing a big part in a lot of what's going on right mm-hmm. now. You know, the average consumer, and, and I'll be honest with you, man, I don't think the average agent, and I don't I don't mean to alienate or talk poorly about my peer group. I'm just calling it the way that I see it based on conversations. I don't think the average agent understands how much of an impact reinsurance has on rates. And, and we get so caught up in the fact that we live in Florida, right? I mean, this, this is real talk from people we talk to in our agency every single day. Well, why are my rates going up? We haven't had a hurricane hit us in years. Mm-hmm. They, we get so isolated in our own bubble. We don't think about the fact. How many? I mean, there were like five or six Gulf hurricanes last year, weren't yeah. there? That hit well, Texas there that. and Louisiana, I, and Mississippi. Well, and, and then the, the wildfires. Yeah, the fires, and then the freeze, and other crazy winter stuff out in Texas last year. Okay, I and mean, that's just in the United States, and yeah, that's exactly. where I think people don't understand. Like, there's well, so they don't. much. Like, crap why would that you happens. know that in, unless you are? somehow involved in the insurance industry because you would I, I had no no idea before I started working here that that was the case yeah that's the whole thing man we like we don't even know the things that are happening in other continents and other the other mm-hmm. side of the world and all of that but the reinsurance companies are typically global and so all of that did stuff you see that email it. from the oceanator earlier um, it might have been yesterday where it had the something around 25 percent increase in q2 on cyber and um, that was the highest and then uh, Umbrella after uh, Umbrella Q1 was 19 and Q2 was 17% increases. And it was just like, it's wild, man. I mean, I don't know. It keeps happening though. Cyber especially. I mean, cyber is going to get horrible in the coming Mm -hmm. months. 
Or I year. just wish there was a guy on a podcast somewhere that gave us like a year, year and a half head start warning on the fact the cyber market was going to be brutal. I just yeah. wish there was a guy out there that, that had done that. Right. I mean, it's crazy, man. It, it's no different than anything else. You know, what What I'm really interested in seeing, too, is kind of what's, what's going to happen with the whole pandemic thing, right? Like, is this now going to become something similar to TRIA, where, you know, the government has, some, has a program of some sort that they're going to put in place so the, the insurance companies aren't all of a sudden now forced to figure out how to cover something there's no way to actuarially under you know understand and and underwrite like a pandemic i mean that's the only thing i can i can think happen and and that's going to change things but too, isn't there, they, why why isn't there a way to actuarially cover a pandemic it happens it it's happened before it happened again realistically you know how much money you lost during this pandemic yes you can't cover how bad it was maybe it won't be as bad next time but realistically you can cover anything yeah, no, I I agree with that, but do you? I I think that it probably I don't know. How do you, how do you think you would cover it? So my I mean you can price for anything, right? But the way I would look at it is it's an just like tree, it's an optional coverage. You can either opt in or opt out, and if you opt in, it's ridiculously expensive. But I mean Wimbledon did it right. Wimbledon had pandemic coverage. And they, well, we did too. Don't get me wrong. We had it up until the pandemic happened. So not, I mean, not on standard stuff, but like our event cancellation policies and all of that stuff for the first couple of months of COVID, it was still a free for all. It had no exclusion on there nope. for any of that stuff. Then they quit selling it all together. Now they've come back into the state, refiled it and have been approved to have that on there. That's why I think if you, I don't even think you need to make it expensive. In my opinion, if you make it like, uh, well, so in Florida, we have I bet you the average policyholder has no clue how much of their overall premium is going towards taxes, fees, and surcharges as a result of different different things. Yeah, I just think that's how you do it because then you can spread it across every policy because a pandemic is really going to – like COVID has affected everybody in the country at this point for the most part. So I would rather just have some level of a smaller tax that affects everybody so that we're not just getting crushed as opposed to people opting in and out so that the coverage is there. But then you get the critical mass of collecting money from everybody. The problem is who's going to appropriate those funds? Who's going to manage them? Because what I'd really like to know is how much do we even have in the TRIA fund right now? Like we've not had any kind of a terrorist event that's required been required to pay out yet. We've been collecting premium for you know what 20 years at this yeah. point mm -hmm. i'm literally almost every policy in some way shape or form it's a good point but and i, I you, mean like you i think we talked about this along the lines of cyber though like how often the tria like the definition of like a terrorist event or attack changes you know so right. I, I, well I no wonder, yeah that was how i talk about it in, 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 from a cyber perspective in relation is, to cyber but yeah yeah is, is cyber terror considered a terrorist attack right eventually like, it will be eventually right. it will be right and mm -hmm. it, so is that covered? If you rejected terror, uh, terrorism on a policy, or if it, you can't even reject, I don't even remember if you can accept or reject on cyber. I don't think you can. I don't think there's even an option to do that. But I think five. I mean, I think we're five years behind on understanding what cyber actually is. Cyber should be covered on terrorism coverage. Oh, it, I agree. It should be, but we're we're not going to do that for five years, if not more. Yep. I think everything that we do as an industry is five years behind.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is like tip of the iceberg for the cyber piece because I want we like I the 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 correlation that I use every single time is EPLI because it is literally following the identical course that e- employment practices followed when it first came out. Every agent was talking about it because it was the new hot button. Nobody really understood what it was. They didn't take the time to read the coverage forms, and they sold it as much as they could. It was severely underpriced because there wasn't really data that could project the claims, and then boom, the claims start rolling in. Now we need to adjust everything. We're going to tighten up underwriting. We're going to um, increase pricing. We're going to pop more exclusions on the policy because what happened? Everybody bought it and started having wage and hour claims, and they were all covered under the policy because nobody excluded it. Then wage and hour was excluded. Then it had a sublimit. And I mean, eventually, 20 years later or more, it's finally like leveled off, and it's now where it's probably going to reside for a little bit. And then freaking COVID hits. And now it's going to be a hard market for management liability, EPLI, fiduciary, DNO, all of that stuff because of of what we've just gone through. You know, you've got people that are getting hit with suits for wrongful termination or discrimination and all of that other stuff. And I'll be really interested to see what happens. You know, I don't know if you guys know this or not or, or saw it. I'm assuming you did. But like Delta came out and publicly yeah. said, hey, we're going to charge our employees that will not get the vaccine an additional $200 for their health plan. Okay. Well, here, hey guys, I'm going to make a really controversial statement right now. So if you're a hater and you're going to email me, I'm giving you fair warning. This is the one you want to email me about. What about fat people? What about people who have morbidity issues in their health? That's a conscious choice. It's a conscious choice whether or not you get the vaccine. It's also a conscious choice whether or not you get on a treadmill, whether or not you eat two Big Macs or one, you know, you know, all of this stuff. And so if you're not charging those people who are making lifestyle decisions that are impacting how a health plan responds, what, why are you doing that to the people with the vaccines? I'm not, and I'm not saying that because I, this is not a do you believe in the vaccine or not. That's a completely different discussion we'll never get into on the podcast. I'm looking at it from a business perspective in that if you're going to do that because of this, why aren't we doing that in other areas, right? I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a fair question to ask and get an answer to. We are charging. Health insurance companies do charge for some of that stuff, though, don't they? They charge for for obesity. They charge for smoking. They charge for all this stuff. Or they don't write you. And I think maybe we shouldn't be going that way. Maybe we should. I don't have an answer to that. But I think even in the property casualty world, we're going to have to come up with a way now to cover remote employees because of this. A better way to cover remote employees. How do you know? There are so many problems with you working from home. What if you trip and fall down the stairs? Because you were working from home, that's not covered right now. You're at home. Right. There's so many issues with it, and we're going to keep having problems in the insurance market. And this just created – you said you're never going to start an insure tech. You will. This just created 8,000 different insure techs that could be started because of COVID. I'm just trying to throw smoke up, man. Smoke screen. I don't want anybody to know about the insure tech I'm working on behind the scenes. I would say that 75% of what you do on a day-to-day basis is an insure tech. Probably. Right? The protege was yeah. in Protect, right? It was a... Yeah, to a certain degree. It's going to be interesting to see how that thing winds up, man. We announced the top three yesterday. So now we know that Ryan Keating, Justin Sloan, and Derek Hayden are going to be the three that, that are going to go to San Antonio and ultimately present live and uh, get voted on. So that's, Is there a book uh, that for was... this? Can I, can I place a bet? <laughs> you know what? That would have been awesome if we did. It'll be interesting to see how it works out because that's the one thing. It was funny because as we went through that process 
you know, and obviously this, the difference between me and the average person is I'll have these weird pipe dream ideas, but I actually try them. You know, I don't just think <laughs> about them and let them go away. I, I actually try them and I try them all the way through. So if it's going to fail, it's going to fail miserably, but it'll be a complete project that failed miserably and not just, you know, a couple of episodes. And so, you know, with that, the, the one thing that I was pretty consistent about, and it, and it was a weird kind of way for me to be, I, it gave me the idea to, or the perspective of in, in a little way what a judge feels like like an actual judge in a court because I have to be completely unbiased completely neutral and judge everybody on their work product as it and let it stand on its own and so that was t difficult for me to do I, I was able to program myself to do it but I and, and it was also difficult for me not to hand out a bunch of advice now it was interesting to watch how everybody approached things because there was never a time when we set all of this up that I said you can't come to me and ask me questions yet only one person in the entire com uh, competition reached out and I said hey he said, I don't know if it's offsides for me or not, but I want to reach out. It was Derek Hayden. And yeah. he said, you know, I, 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 want, I want your perspective on this or, um, you know, just tell me if, if I'm thinking in the right direction. It wasn't, hey, coach me and, and tell me what I need to do or whatever else, but just tell me if I'm, if I'm staying on the rails. And I think that that, that was you know, wise of him to do that and interesting that nobody else did. But the one thing I harped on to everybody was you have to be active on social, period. This thing, you're going to get through based on the merit of your work. You're going to get to the top five. The top five are then going to go out and take the mousetraps that they built, and they're going to actually produce. Your production's going to get you into the top three. Ultimately, it's a popularity contest. It's who followed you, how did you build your base of an audience, and all of those things. So it's going to be interesting to see how it folds out. The people who did not make the top, the top five and definitely the top three are the people who didn't didn't take the time to realize, hey, this is as much going to be a popularity contest at the end in, an, in a piece and in, in, in based off of awareness as it is anything else. I think some of the people um, along the way probably thought, oh, he's just telling us to do that so that he can you know stroke his ego and get more people to watch the, the show. Well, no, that's kind of the only way you're going to win is yeah. if people know that there's a show, watch you on it, endear themselves to you, and, and then ultimately vote for you. So... You know, I, I have my suspicions of who I think will win, um, but I can tell you, man, Hayden absolutely crushed it, wrote almost 70 grand in revenue in the three and a half, four months since it ended. And, it's, and that's not all the revenue he wrote in his agency. That's just the stuff in the verticals yeah. that he built inside a protege. So it was, it was a cool thing to go through, um, you know, and again... I say this, people ask me, why do you put so much content out? How come you don't charge people more for your content or whatever else? I could literally stand in the parking lot all day with a megaphone and have agents all around me telling them every secret that I know about the insurance industry, what works for me and everything else. And nobody's going to do any of it. Like nobody wants to take action. That's the biggest issue. We make good money if we do the minimum. So why would you push yourself anymore? Uh, execution is lacking, not just in insurance, but across the board with most people. Everyone has these big ideas. They talk about how they're grinding and working so hard and doing all this stuff. But it always comes down to execution. And there are so few people that are willing to actually put in the time instead of talking about how much time they put in to actually execute on something. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you you see this too, man, because I can't imagine how many moving pieces and parts you have to deal with. It's tenfold what I deal with every day, I'm sure. It's just different. 
it's it's not yeah. any more or less. It's just different. We do different things and we have to execute in different ways. And I think uh, you've proven that you've already done it. I'm still I'm still on my way to that. And I think there's still a lot more I can do on my side. But um, it's cool to watch certain people execute in their vertical. And it makes us do things a little differently to execute in ours. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what we miss, man? What's something? What's anything that you want? Because I want to be uh, respectful of your time, but I also want you to get the word out that you want to have out. What What did we miss that you want to hear people to hear before we wrap I mean, this up? You guys, you guys covered everything. I think one of the most important things for us as a company is we want agencies to, at the very least, come take a look at it. Right? If you haven't seen it. Uh, we've done, I looked at our HubSpot the other day, we've done thousands of demos with thousands of agencies. So I'm not sure how many we're missing, but I want people to at least see it and see what else is out there. Whether or not it's, you pick our company or not, I want people to start using tech in the way it should be utilized instead of just hearing about it and saying, oh, I'll do that someday. At least give it a shot. Whether it's Tarmica or any other company out there, better agency, Glovebox, whatever else you want to work on, try it, look at it because I think it's going to, being your benefit down the road. Agreed. And by the way, as far as people who grind, I'm going to give my man Chris Lane a shout out because that joker grinds. He has been all over the place since we left Chicago. I've been watching him and it's like you let him out of his cage for the first time in how long and he's just running. Like he's he's like Forrest Gump, man. He just started running one day and he's going to come back when he's ready. The the greatest decision, the reason that Tarmacay is where it is is Chris Lane. So I I got to give him props on that. Locking him up because of COVID and not letting him travel was uh was brutal. We, we, yeah. we can't let that happen again. No, I hear you. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. It has been a just true joy to watch how quickly you guys have grown and all the waves that you're making. And I know that I speak for Kyle when I say this. We wish you nothing but uh, success and continued yep. success and, and further growth and all of that. And you've got a huge fan sitting on the sidelines watching everything as you do it, man. So I all the best that. to you. And uh, agents, if you're not using Tarmic or you haven't seen it, it doesn't cost anything to get a demo. Okay. Chris Lane travels everywhere, but yeah, you know, he, he, I don't know if he's a good sales guy or not. He's <laughs> relative. He, he'll, he'll be gentle on you. Um, but, but take the time to look at it because right now you're spending a lot of time to process things in your agency. And here's what I know. If I can go one place and get five quotes in the same time or less than it takes for me to do one quote on right. one platform, how is it more efficient to replicate that same effort across five or six different places? It's mm-hmm. not. You'll never win that argument with me. Do the demo. Hear what these guys have to say. And you can say... 10 years from now, when Tarmica is a multi-billion dollar company, hey, I was there at the very beginning. I was one of the first ones that came in, and you'll remember this day because this guy's going to do great things. So I thank you again for coming on. We're going to wrap up, man, and have a great weekend. I am going fishing. There you go. I appreciate that. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 